Everyone okay? Good morning. I'll be there in a minute. I know where I'm going, honestly. Well, those of you who know me, some of you might not want to know me, but those of you who know me will know I'm a big fan of music. Sometimes very random music. You might or might not be aware, but I'm now an international DJ. Um, if you read my Facebook page, always promoting myself, always out there. And um, part of being that DJ is, of course, playing your music. And um, it's great week by week when sometimes my boys listen, and especially John, you'll say, haven't you got any decent songs that I know? Because um, I like very random stuff. It's true as well when I think about Easter, because um, you know already we've heard some tremendous songs that um, sort of link us to Easter, and um, we haven't had He Has Risen, which I know many of you like. A bit of a long one, but uh, yeah, that's great. But there's a song which always comes to my mind um, when I think of Easter, and it's by a band which I'll name and you'll all look blank. Um, that's fine by me. Um, they're a band called The Hold Steady. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you, you, yeah, you've all got their albums. I knew you would. I knew, you've heard the show, haven't you? So you've bought all the albums. And um, there's one song that they sing which is called How Does a Resurrection Really Feel? And it's always one that comes to mind at Easter time. And it, it's not because it's a song about the cross and the resurrection. Although there is something related there. Because Craig Finn, the writer, he's, he's a great storyteller. And, um, you know, he, he seems to fit a lot of words in a song. But um, this song is about a girl. And it tells us that she was born with the name Hallelujah. But her friends called her Holly. And what you sort of gain through the song is that Holly is someone who is typical of so many youngsters. Sort of grew up and got in with the wrong crowd and spent her life partying, taking drugs, ruining her life. And, and what you discover in the song is that she lost herself. She lost who she really was. But then one Easter Sunday, she found herself in an Easter Mass. And as she was there, something happened in her life. All of a sudden, she rediscovered who she really was. And the lyrics say, she's been disappeared for years, but today she finally came back. And in the song, it then says she goes up to the minister and the elders... And she says, I want to tell your congregation how a resurrection really feels. And when I hear the song, it gets me every time. You know, Craig Finn comes from a, a Catholic background and through many of his songs, he brings in something of that faith. But this song, you know, how does a resurrection really feel? And it's almost like for Holly, she's sitting in this meeting, it's like, 
Nobody else here can really understand today, like me, how it feels to really find yourself again. And to realise that in this surrounding of God and resurrection and hope, in this place of the gathering of people, the gathering of the saints, I've realised that I'm truly still here. And I know today how a resurrection truly feels. How does a resurrection feel for us today? You know, many of us here have journeyed with God for a long time. But it's good on a day like this to keep coming back and say, how does it feel to face the resurrection again? How does it feel in my life to realise that this Christ who came for us, the one who died upon a cross, the one who was laid in a tomb, the one who rose from the grave, how does a resurrection feel to us today? How did a resurrection feel for those who were involved on that first Easter Sunday? And we're going to look at three characters briefly. And we're going to look at that question, how did it feel for them when Jesus rose from the grave? When they were faced with the reality that he was no longer dead and that he was risen. First of all, we're going to look at the guards. On the next day, we're told in Matthew 27, which followed the day of preparation... The chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. And they said, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how the deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb he made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He's risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone, and they set the guard. So here are these guards. They're outside the tomb. The tomb is as secure as it can be. And the reason they're here, they're doing what they're told to do. This is their job. This is their business. They are out the tomb, they're at that place because there's a rumour that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. And so to quash this rumour, let's put the guard there. The disciples have got no chance of coming to steal the body, so there's going to be no chance of any resurrection at this point. There will be no story, there will be no stealing, there will be nothing that will happen. The guard will stop it. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. There was a shaking. Something was happening. Now how did that feel for these guards? You know I imagine they're on their guard because if the disciples are going to come and try to steal the body 
then they're going to be apprehended. Something is going to happen in that darkness. And I'm sure every little tree that moves, they hear the wind and they think, is there somebody there? Is somebody coming? They are on their guard. They're expecting something. They're expecting something to happen. But instead, there was a great earthquake. And it wasn't any earthquake caused by the earth. It was one caused by an angel of the Lord that descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and he sat on it. (laughs) Now you imagine that scene if you're the guard. You know, you're minding your business, waiting for a few disciples to come along, but there's an earthquake which is caused by an angel who comes down, and he starts rolling this stone away, and as if to say, look how good this is, he sits on the stone. And he's like, what are you going to do about this, guards? Where are you going to go from here? Now, I'm sure if I was one of the guards... I wouldn't be standing there calmly, thinking, oh, this is a good sight. Oh, there's a lovely angel. In verse 4, it says the guards shook for fear of him. And they became like dead men. That is fearful. This is one of the most frightful Things they have ever seen in their lives. You know, you hear loads of Christians, don't you, who say, oh, I would love to see an angel. And you know, you've got these really lovely stories sometimes online about people seeing lovely angels floating in the sky. Well, every time you read about an angel in the Bible, there's a bit of speechlessness going on. <laughs> You know, even Mary, when the angel appeared to her, she was a bit speechless. This is a frightful, awesome, dynamic thing. And here are these guards. How does this resurrection day feel? It's the most frightful thing they have ever experienced. The unexpectedness of that event. What is going to happen? They were fearing him, the angel, and they became like dead men. And it's strange because then the angel speaks and says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Why? For he is risen. It's already empty. The angel didn't roll the stone away so Jesus could get out. He rolled the stone away to show us that he was already alive. But I'm a guard. How does this resurrection feel when I've been given a job to stop this body being stolen and I've now got to go and report back and say... An angel appeared. There was an earthquake. Oh dear me, you would think, you know, that is the end of your life. Some of the guards came into the city. That's quite interesting. Not all of them dared go back. Some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. I bet that was not easy. 
But when they assembled together with the elders and consulted, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said to them, Tell them his disciples did come at night and they stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews even to this day. So there's this plot. You know, we've been going through line of duty at the moment. There's a lot of corruption going on. And even back here, they could have done with a bit of line of duty investigation. There's a bit of corruption going on here. They're all making up this stuff. They want to bribe them. Here's some money. Be silent. Here's a story. You know, as if they had really fallen asleep, they would still be alive to tell the story. But, oh, we fell asleep. Oh, they must have come along. Oh, they stole the body. How did this resurrection feel to the guards? It was fearful. It was a mess. It was a lie. It was a day of bribery. It was a day of confusion. It was a day that I'm sure would cause them to never be the same again. How does a resurrection really feel? One woman who appeared in that story, and we've already heard much of her accounts read this morning, Mary Magdalene. I love Mary Magdalene in this story. How there is a longing in her heart. For something, to be there, to, to really see what's going on. We're told in Mark 16:9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Mary Magdalene had had quite a past. You know, in a way, Holly, who's part of the song... Her life is a bit like Mary Magdalene's. You know, a life that was wasted until one day she met Christ. And then Christ totally changed her life. And she became a follower. She became a disciple. And I'm sure even from that moment, which was before the resurrection, she knew something about how a resurrection truly felt. These demons had been cast out of her. Her life had been changed. Totally changed. In John 20, Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. She's weeping. She's sad. She's forlorn. The one she had followed had died upon a cross. The one who had transformed her life was no longer there. They'd gone through the crucifixion. Saturday, that day of silence... Nothing had happened. And here they were, outside the tomb, these women. But this account brings Mary Magdalene to the fore. She's there, she's weeping, she stoops down, she looks into the tomb. And she sees angels in there in white, one at the head, the other at the feet. And they say, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, they've taken away my Lord. 
And I do not know where they have laid him. There's confusion. She wants to believe that something's happened. But she still hasn't seen him. She's not seen the evidence. She wants to know where the body is. Where is this Jesus? Now when she had said this she turned around. And she saw Jesus standing there. She beheld him. She looked at him. But she didn't know that it was him. You know, it's one of those strange verses, isn't it? How can you look at someone and and not really know it's them? You know, was it because her eyes were full of tears? Was it because she couldn't really believe that what she was looking at was him? Was it because this resurrected body of Jesus had changed so much that she didn't really know what he looked like anymore? You know, we don't really know the reasons. But she didn't recognise him at first. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she's supposing him to be the gardener. You know, of all people. You know, when you're mourning, when you're going through confusion, your mind plays all sorts of tricks with you. And the only thing she can think of is, oh, he must be the gardener. He's the only one who would be around here now. She said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. But then Jesus spoke one word to her. Mary. I don't know how he said that. I don't know what was in that one word. But there was something that all of a sudden, you know, he it spoke to her before. Why are you weeping? Those words went up there somewhere. They went over her head. But when he said her name, Rabboni, teacher. And she wanted to hold on to him. She didn't want to let him go. How did a resurrection feel at that moment to Mary Magdalene? Oh, I tell you. I'm sure it was joy and and exultation mixed with mystery, wonder. What's going on? And she wanted to hold him and never let him go. And Jesus had to say to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to the brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. You know, Jesus gives her the first job in the scriptures of taking the good news somewhere. This is the first evangelist now. Mary, you've got to tell the good news that I am alive. I'm not sure Mary Magdalene would have expected the reaction that she got. But she runs to the disciples. It says here she came to them and she told them all the things that he had spoken to her. But then we read in Luke that their reaction was, she's telling idle tales. What does she know? It's funny, isn't it? You know, even today when we try to tell people the truth, we get rejected They think we're making up these stories. You know, when we tell them that Jesus has risen from the dead, they still think we've got idle tales. And it's not until people are actually themselves meeting with the resurrected one that they begin to appreciate the truths that we know, the truths that we've lived. So how did the resurrection feel to Mary Magdalene? 
I'm sure it was a better feeling than what the guards had. (laughs) But it was still one of confusion. The joys of seeing him. But the wonder of thinking, these men, why don't they ever listen? (laughs) The confusion of where it's going to go from here. And the final one we're going to look at is Peter. I love the account of Peter. We could have looked at so many characters. We could have just taken the disciples as a whole picture. But Peter is something a bit different here. Because I think how the resurrection felt to him was unique in this story. Because the last time he'd seen Jesus was at a point of denial. The third time he'd said, I don't know this man. The cockerel crowed and their eyes met. I wonder how that felt. Their eyes met across the courtyard. That was the last time he'd seen Jesus alive. So Peter's probably thinking, I want it to happen. I want it to happen. I want it to happen. And it's interesting that in one of the Gospels, when Mary Magdalene tells, they all think it's idle tales. But... Peter thinks, I'm going to run to the tomb. I'm going to go and have a look. And it says, Peter and the other disciple, which we often refer to as John, these two start going towards the empty tomb. And I love the account of Peter because at this point he starts the race to the tomb, but he lets John go first. There's something in Peter that thinks, I want to see him. But if he's really resurrected from the dead, what's he going to think of me? How is he going to react to me, one who's denied him, one who has let him down so badly? So in John chapter 21, we're going to pick up the story when Jesus has been appearing to his disciples on and off for a few occasions. So Peter's been in that room. He's seen the risen Christ. But it doesn't look like he's really sorted out the issues of how this resurrection feels to him. He's even sat there when Thomas has gone through his bit. Oh, I don't know, unless I put my hands in his side, unless I really see the wounds in his hands, I'm not going to believe. And Peter sat in the background and let that go on. And Thomas has come to the realisation, yes, the Lord is risen. This is the Christ. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. You know, Simon Peter, before he knew Jesus, the only thing he seemed to know what to do is... I'm going fishing. It's almost like his Xbox. I've got nothing else to do. I'm going fishing. And what I find in many of the accounts of Peter when he goes fishing, he's not very good. Because when he meets Jesus the first time, he doesn't catch anything. And what we find here is the same thing's going to happen again. It's either Peter's a bit out of practice, Peter's not very good, or he's just very unlucky as a fisherman. 
He always seems to find himself in the bit of sea where there's no fish. So they said to him, we're going to go with you. They went, they immediately got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was him. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you got any food? And they said to him, no. So he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. It's a good job Jesus knows he's fishing. Because he's waiting for a bit of breakfast on shore here. He's got the fire, the cooker's ready. He's going to do some fish. They haven't got any. So he says, cast out on the right side of the boat, you'll find some. So they cast, and they were, they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. In fact, we read that there was 153. Well, I've heard some sermons on that. There's some stuff made up in there. What does that? 153 nations in the world, that's what I heard once. I've never counted them. So he said, cast them out. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, he says to Peter, it is the Lord. Now here he is again. Like he was when he heard from Mary Magdalene, the tomb's empty. He gets ready, I'm going to see. John, you go first. Simon Peter hears it was the Lord. He puts on his outer garment and he plunges into the sea. So he's like, he's off, he's ready. He's swimming as quick as he can and then he thinks, the last time I spoke to him, face to face, one on one, it was a story of denial. Do I want to be the first on the shore? The other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, dragging the net with a fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw the fire of coals there, and the fish laid on it, and the bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. So instead of running round this nice breakfast, Simon Peter, he finally gets to shore after the boat had already arrived. And he thinks, I'll go and drag the net in. It'll take me a bit more time. And then they have breakfast together. And Jesus takes bread and he shares it with them. But when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? All of a sudden, Peter is in a conversation he cannot get out of. He is face to face with the resurrected Lord. How does the resurrection really feel to him? Three times he denies Jesus. Three times they go through this restoration conversation. Peter probably thought, yeah, there was a time when he said to me, oh, you're going to be the rock on whom I'm going to build the church. I'm going to be at the front of everything. I'm going to lead everything. I'll be the first one to always ask the questions. But after the resurrection, he's always in the background. Even Thomas is not afraid to have a little question about his doubts. But we don't hear any real conversation from Peter until this moment. Because I'm sure it was still in his mind. Does Jesus really love me? 
You know, it's all right him asking, do I love him? But does he still want me? On the third time, Jesus commissions him with the words, feed my lambs. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Recommissioned. You know, on the day of Pentecost, when Simon Peter stood up and preached one of the first sermons, I don't know if that would have happened without this conversation. He needed to really face resurrection. He needed to really see what it meant to him. That it meant freedom. That it meant liberty. It meant no condemnation. It meant he was forgiven for the things that had happened in his life. That Jesus, God, was not going to hold this over him. That the call upon his life was irrevocable. It was not taken away. Because of the things that he had done. How does a resurrection truly feel? To the guards it would have been uncomfortable. To Mary Magdalene it must have been joyful, confusing, but something liberating in her heart. To Peter it was a time of true restoration. What about us this morning? In your life. How does a resurrection really feel? The Lord bless you this morning. Amen. Amen. Amen.